Here's your warm-up question for the day, and it's a question I ask a lot around Blue Water. What's God been saying to you recently? What's God been saying to you recently? I'll give you eight seconds to reflect. What's God been saying to you recently? All right, let's hear it. Nothing too private. Come on. What's God been saying to you recently? You will be healed. I like that one. That's good. What else? That's there. I have what? I've already healed you through the blood of Christ. So, done, done. Nice. Excellent. Those are encouraging words. What else? Yeah. The season is turning. This, the change is coming. That's good. You get a little sense of change on the, on the, on the wind. Who else? What's God been saying to you recently? Continue to keep your eyes upon me. And what was that? Somebody said jump? Yes, jump. Jump. Keep your eyes on me and jump because the season is turning. If it doesn't work out, you'll be healed. I feel like the Lord is speaking in the house this morning. Yeah, nice. All right, one more. Who's got the best one? What's God saying to you recently? Pre- prepare the vessel. Prepare the vessel. That's interesting. Yeah, that comes from a couple Old Testament stories, uh, that phrase. Good, thing is, good things are coming. Prepare the vessel so that you can hold uh, the good thing uh, that's coming. Uh, it's been a long time since I've given a quiz on the five discipleship questions at Blue Water, right? So, like, if, 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 you're, if you're a newbie, some of you are stressed right now. If you're, if you're newbies, you may not know these, but if you're Blue Water veterans, you should know the five discipleship questions. The first one is, what's God been saying to you recently? So that's an easy one. We just did that one. The second one, close, what was it? What are you doing about it? Yeah. What's God been saying to you recently? Oh, yeah. What, what have you been doing about that? Uh, that's a good one. Number three. What's getting in the way? What's challenging about it, right? What's getting in the way? Number four. Who are you bringing along with you in that process? Who are you influencing? You? Who are you gathering in? Number five. What can I do to help? You're talking to somebody, and what can I do uh, to help? Um, we... Uh, uh, for a while, we had those uh, printed on um, laminated business cards. Uh, and so, you know, that, a great way to start a conversation. What I like about it is that the opening line is, so what's God been saying to you recently? Uh, and you can ask that of anyone. I particularly like to ask it of non-believers. Because um, first they look at you funny. Uh, and then if the conversation goes well, they realize that maybe the Lord has been speaking to them. Uh, it's just been in a curious way that they haven't noticed or allowed themselves uh, to, to notice uh, before. We're in this sermon series on calling, and, you know, it's sort of a double meaning. It's like how the Lord calls us. Maybe the Lord is calling you, uh, but also how to put out the call of the Lord in, in the world in, in a corrupt and twisted generation, as I said in the stories of Noah, uh, um, in a generation that has followed a crooked path. Uh, away from the Lord. And uh, so we're a few weeks into it. The, uh, in, in week one of sort of uh, unpacking it, we discovered that the first thing you need to understand about God's call to life and purpose for you is that it's a call to decision. You know, it's a call to decision. You have to make up your mind about something. 
uh, the something that you have to make up your mind about uh, is, is probably going to be Jesus. Uh, he's front and center. And the nice thing about Jesus is that he's the easiest decision point in the universe because nobody dislikes Jesus. They just dislike having to make a decision. <laughs> but, but nobody dislikes Jesus. He's really cool. So we talked about that. But decision is going to figure into your life change, to uh, your turning season or your new vessel or maybe your brand new relationship uh, with God, as the case may be. The second thing we talked about is that after you make a decision, uh, you'll be called to build something important. Because whenever Jesus calls someone, he always calls that someone to a, to a purpose, to a mission. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right? There's always a second clause, and that second clause is, well, you're supposed to do something uh, important uh, with your life. Uh, with this season of your life. And it may vary from person to person, but it will always be fruitful. And today, we're going to talk about how one important mechanism for hearing that call from God or for hearing those instructions uh, from God is, is this. Start listening. Uh, and in particular, you want to start listening simply and sincerely, uh, which is a, a real key. I... Uh, did not uh, grow up in a church-going family, um, but um, I have uh, recorded by my grandmother, my late grandmother. She just passed away a couple years ago. Many of you knew her. Um, my very first recorded prophecy uh, was recorded by my grandmother when I had just turned four years old. Uh, and she didn't know anything about prophecy or following God or something. I had sort of become a Christian even at that early stage because I'd had some Christian babysitters who introduced me to the idea of God and Jesus. And, and they gave me this uh, children's living Bible that had pictures in it and stuff. And I was a precocious little reader. So I would just go through that thing and I would read the cool Jesus stories or the cool God stories. And, and I don't know, somewhere along the line, I learned that God speaks to people and then people do stuff. Think of any cool story in the Bible and that's essentially the summary. God says something to someone supernaturally, and then a lot of cool things happen. So if you're a kid, you're not around any Christians, and the only thing you know about God is what you have in this little children's living picture Bible, that's pretty much what you conclude. And evidently, I concluded that. I don't know exactly when, because I don't remember all those days with crystal clarity. Uh, but what I have from those days is a collection of letters that my grandmother wrote to my great-grandmother cataloging that season of our life, uh, why would she do that? Because in that season of our life, uh, my grandmother, my dad, and I were running from the cops, uh, running around the country and hiding under assumed names and living on the margins and stuff like that. So it was a fairly interesting season in our, in our, in our family life. And what she would do is she'd write down letters, sort of diary letters, and then she would mail them to this pharmacy in Sacramento, California, where a friend of the family would pick them up at this pharmacy and then smuggle them to our other family members. And that's how we stayed in contact. This was before, like, cell phones and stuff. I know some of you can't imagine the challenges of anonymous communication back in those days, but that's what we did in the 70s. Um, and then my great-grandmother saved all the letters uh, and gave them to me eventually in this little suitcase, uh, which is cool. Uh, anyway, so I was reading through those letters uh, a while back, 
And, uh, and I stumbled upon my first recorded prophecy. My, my grandmother was writing about uh, me to my great-grandmother. I said, well, uh, Jody, they called me Jody back in those days. Jody came in this afternoon, walked up to me, stared, me, stared at me, and said, uh, my Halloween pumpkin will be rotten in four weeks. So it was a pretty epic prophecy. Uh, so we had evidently gotten a pumpkin, and maybe we were going to carve it, you know, make a jack-o'-lantern for Halloween. It was a bit, we had like zero money, and nothing. So I imagine like just getting a pumpkin was a, a pretty big deal, kind of a celebration uh, for me. And I guess I didn't know about rotting fruit and stuff when you're like barely four years old. You haven't figured that out. And so I was staring at my pumpkin, evidently talking to God one afternoon, and God said, well, you know, nothing lasts forever, son. Uh, your Halloween pumpkin is going to be rotten in, in four weeks. And this really impressed me, so I had to go unburden myself. I walked inside, and I told my grandmother, my Halloween pumpkin is going to be rotten in four weeks. And she said, how do you know that? And I said, God told me. And then she writes in a letter, where does he get these things? She was just starting to get weirded out by me. It would go much, <laughs> much deeper uh, than that in, in the subsequent months. Um, uh, but that was it, you know. Uh, I was just talking to God about things, and, and evidently when I was four, I was assuming that God would speak back and he was teaching me things about the world and life. And then, you know, eventually that kind of settled out, settled down when I got involved with like respectable churches and stuff. And years later, I was, uh, I was on this trip traveling with this guy, Steve Nicholson, who's talking at our all-church retreat. And he decides somewhere, I don't know how he decided this, that I was really good at hearing the voice of God. And he was speaking at this conference of Anglican priests, the National Leadership Conference for Anglican Priests in, in, uh, in Chorleywood. It's outside London in Britain. He had been invited there, and he took me along basically to carry his luggage and stuff. <laughs> and he's going to speak to the Anglican priests on hearing the voice of God supernaturally. And so right before he stands up, like I'm sitting there, and Steve is sitting here, and Steve says to me, I'm going to stand up and talk uh, about, for five or ten minutes about... Uh, how even Anglicans can hear the supernatural voice of God day to day. And then I'm going to call you up and give you the microphone, and for the rest of the hour, you're going to prophesy over these 600 Anglican priests. Oh, we're starting. And, and, and then he got up, and he did that, and then he, then he calls me up and gives me a microphone and said, all right, now listen, get prophetic messages. Sometimes we do that at the end of service, and I make people go through this awkward exercise in front of people, and they try to prophesy to you. That's nothing compared to how I started. Uh, we just had a couple uh, visiting here from Britain last week, week, last week, whose parents I called out of that crowd and delivered a word that ended up like, totally changing their life and resulting in a church plant and a church that they eventually inherited or something. It's the whole story. And so I did okay. I uh, had some whiffs on that day as well. Here's why I tell those crazy stories. You think I'm just rambling today? Yes. But there's a purpose to it. And the purpose is this. Consider the time lag between when I heard the voice of God, four years old, and when I really started listening to the voice of God when I was in my mid-20s. You see the difference? It's like I had, I had the voice of God down, right? I was into it, 
when I was four. And then somehow it kind of vanished from my life. It was not directing me. I don't even know how that happened. But it wasn't until I was like in my mid-20s, I was like, hey, God is speaking in the world. You know what? That's useful. That's a really interesting thing. Like you could call somebody out of a crowd and change their life just because, just because God speaks today revolution in my life or ruined my life. I'm not really sure what happened there, but life got really interesting, and it's been really interesting with God ever since. Um, I was hearing God's voice long before I was listening and using God's voice. And I don't think that's an uncommon experience, actually. I think a lot of us hear God's voice somehow. Maybe we tune into it. Maybe we just let it slip by, maybe we learn to ignore it. I'm not really sure exactly how it happens, but here's a story from 1 Samuel chapter 3. This is a story um, of arguably the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, this guy named Samuel. And we get uh, a fairly full life story about Samuel, which is rare when we're talking about prophets, because prophets are weird guys, uh, occasionally weird gals. Um, in, in the Old Testament, they typically live rather roughly and have very challenging existences. And we get the story of Samuel's birth, his childhood, all the way through to his death, which is kind of cool. Kind of cool. Um, uh, got two books in the Bible, first and second. The second book is mostly about David and other prophets. So here's the story. Here's the background of the story of this prophet Samuel who would become very famous in listening to the voice of God and using it uh, to guide not just his life, but the entire nation uh, of Israel. So uh, Samuel had, had a, a mom named Hannah and a father, Elkanah, and they were pretty righteous people. They were right on people. Elkanah had a couple wives, and one of the wives uh, had a bunch of kids, and then Hannah had no kids. Uh, and she felt really junk about that. Uh, particularly in that culture, uh, to be married and not be able to produce children was you know, quite a burden on, on her heart. So she prays to God and she says, look, if you give me a son, uh, uh, sons were valued in that agrarian society a lot, you give me a son, I will dedicate him to your tabernacle. I'll just give him up to you. I won't even keep him and he'll just serve you in the tabernacle of God. This was before there was a temple in Israel. There was a tabernacle, which was sort of a semi-portable place of worship. And that tabernacle was housed in a place called Shiloh. Uh, it, was a, it was sort of a semi-permanent, temporary type of uh, worship hut that housed the Ark of the Covenant. It was portable, but it had stayed It stayed in Shiloh for 400 years. So Shiloh was a very important site. I mention that because just recently, they have archaeologically discovered where Shiloh was. And they started digging it out, and they found the base of the tabernacle and the literal floor where the Ark of the Covenant was housed and stuff like that. You can look that up. It's really interesting if you're an archaeology geek like me. Um, And so uh, lo and behold, Hannah got pregnant, and she dedicates Samuel uh, to the tabernacle, and uh, as soon as he's weaned, so he's probably like two or three years old, um, and he was taken to the tabernacle and given over to the priestly family that ran the joint, 
And that's where he lived. And that's where, that's where he grew up. And once a year, his mom would make him a robe and take it and give it to him and so that he would be dressed for work. And, uh, and so it was a lovely little story. Um, and he was a Nazarite, which means he never got to cut his hair, never got to drink wine or anything like that. So super dedicated to the Lord. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. Now, Eli was the chief priest of the day, uh, of the priestly family that ran the joint. And the thing you need to know about Eli was that his sons were junk. These guys uh, ran ramshackle all over the place. Uh, the way the priests made their living is that people would bring sacrifices, like you know, sheep and cows and stuff, to uh, the tabernacle, kill them, uh, burn them, and then uh, the priests got to uh, take a hunk of the meat off the altar and feed themselves. And people would bring like, you know, a tenth of their grain and stuff like that, and that's how the priests would live. They would take some of that and they would live. So what Eli's sons were doing is that when people walked up with the sheep, they said, well, hey, before you put that on the altar, give me some right now. And they were sort of extorting extra amounts and there were some women that served at the temple as well, like, you know, hosts and worship leaders and stuff. And evidently, Eli's sons were sleeping with these women and sort of, uh, you know, manipulating them because they were the chief priests. It was a very, very unhealthy, twisted work environment. And this was the tabernacle of God. Uh, so that's what you need to know about Eli and his family. And Samuel was taken to serve in that family. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. That's how the story starts. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Interesting. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, he was getting aged, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of the of God was. So that's cool. This little kid got to sleep in front of the ark, uh, um, curled up, just to kind of make sure that nobody got in, I guess. He was the watchdog. Samuel was lying down in the, in the temple of the Lord, this tabernacle where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me? Okay, so this is funny, right? God is kind of waking Samuel up and being like, yo, Samuel. And Samuel's like, oh, yeah, here, I'm coming, Eli. He thinks it's Eli talking. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. What are you talking about? Get out of here. Quit bothering me. Go sleep. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Such an incredible couplet there. Right? Here is a kid who was nothing but dedicated to God, who grew up ministering before God. And the chronicler, and Samuel probably influenced the telling of this story, says, yeah, but he didn't know God yet. Right? He only knew about God, he served God, but he didn't actually have a relationship with God. Well, what do you mean a relationship with God? Well, you know, the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him yet. The word of God existed, but it had not been uncovered 
right? He didn't have a conversation with God yet. It's kind of what the, what the story is saying. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. You've heard God. Samuel, it's time to listen to God. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other time. Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. This time, I'm all about paying attention. And then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli, the only guardian you've ever known, everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. Indeed, Eli had gotten a message from a different prophet, a traveling prophet that said, Dude, your family's going down because you are not correcting your kids and you're letting them steal and extort and rape people. It's not good, man. Uh, So Eli knew this was coming. For I told him I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering too late. You let it go too far. Samuel lay down until morning. Well, that must have been a fitful sleep. And then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. That was his job. He was the opener. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. He's saying that a lot. What was it he said to you? You could tell in Samuel's face that he'd had an encounter with the Lord. Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. You get the impression Eli kind of knew what God was going to say. Guilty conscience, anyone? So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. If only he had said that like, you know, 10 years earlier. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, from north to south, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. Finally, the voice of the Lord was being listened to. Visions were no longer rare. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, And there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. First, the word needs to be revealed. Once the conversation is starting, then the Lord reveals himself through the word, through the conversation. You see how that works? And Samuel's word came to all Israel. That's how the next chapter started. The revelation of God was rare in those days, and, and that bugs me, you know, when you're reading a Bible passage, the first thing you ask yourself is, what bugs me about this story? Because if something bugs you, then you're about to learn. Um, so that's what bugs me. Why, why, is the, why is revelation, why is prophecy, why are visions rare? You know, and that's a great question to ask yourself, because clearly God was capable of speaking, right? It kind of makes me think, well, 
if God is a speaking God, but revelations from God are rare, probably means that people aren't listening. <laughs> it's probably what that means. So, in other words, in those days, very few people bothered to listen to what God was saying. It's kind of what that sounds like uh, to my mind. The narrative indicates in subsequent chapters that once Samuel got going, the numbers of prophets in the land increased until they became troops of prophets or schools of prophets. One of the things Samuel does here in the next few chapters is he anoints Saul king over Israel. And one day, you might know this story, Saul wandered into the midst of a traveling group of prophets, was overcome himself by the spirit of revelation and began prophesying with them. So there came, in short order, after Samuel, communities of the voice of the Lord, which is what I hope Blue Water is. You know, you walk into Blue Water, suddenly everybody hears the voice of the Lord because that's how it should be, right? That's what it means to be alive in the age of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, I digress, but once Samuel got going, this problem was solved. I think, again, Samuel was in a, a common context. Samuel was dedicated to the Lord. Samuel believed in the Lord. Samuel was serving the Lord. But Samuel was not really hearing God yet. And I think a lot of Christians live in that no man's land. I mean, you have belief, but you don't really know God yet, right? You don't have that conversation. You're not really walking with him. You don't really know your calling. You don't have the instructions. You don't have the guidance. Right? It's like being friends with someone but never talking. Um, that was sort of the situation at first. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of God had not been revealed to him. Is how um, the Bible says it, how the story says it. Uh, and then you get this hilarious vignette where God keeps speaking to Samuel. Samuel hears the voice but mistakes it for something else mistakes it for the voice of Eli, which was probably the voice that he expected to hear in the middle of the night. Samuel, get in here. Where's my tea? Something like that. Um, um, so Samuel heard God rather clearly, but didn't know it was God that he was hearing. Samuel heard God rather clearly, but didn't know that it was God he was hearing. The voice of the Lord, always discernible, but occasionally not obvious to you. That that's what you're discerning, right? Uh, and so maybe that applies to any number of people here. Maybe you've been hearing the voice of the Lord for a long time. My goodness, maybe that's why you came this morning, right? Because something's talking to you. Something has kind of gotten your attention, but you're still not really listening to it yet. It's like you haven't tuned the radio properly, so it's still a little staticky. Staticky. You guys know radios, <laughs> young people? You know, it used to be a dial that you would have to tune in, and you needed to kind of nail it in before you heard clearly. You knew there was a signal there. Anybody? You following me? Some of you old people, give me an amen. Radios. Radios? Yeah. There used to be in cars. I don't know. Um, it's kind of like that. And maybe some of you are in that place. Like you're hearing some static that you think might contain a message for you, but you're like, ah, uh, what do I do with this? You know, God's got your attention, but dot, dot, dot. And maybe that's where you're living right now. 
Uh, this is why I love to ask that first discipleship question to people, even non-believers. Hey, what's God been saying to you recently? What? I don't hear the voice of God. Are you sure? Let me ask you a few questions. I love those conversations. I love those conversations. You know, because 80% of the time, we end up discovering that God has been speaking to the person. You know, sometimes I soft pedal it. Man, what do you feel is going on in your life that's really important and compelling right now? Huh? What's God saying to you through that? What? No, really. I mean, because obviously, you know, you believe something spiritual about this, and then the conversation gallops forward. I love those conversations. Um, and uh, I would love to have those conversations uh, with you. People say, I don't really know what to do with my life. Well, what's the Lord saying? I don't know. Really? Really? Give me 10 minutes. Uh, and, and I bet we discover something. I, I just find, I mean, I'm not making big promises, but I, I feel like that's usually uh, how it goes. Anyway, I love to ask that question. What's God saying to you recently? At the very least, the very least, it's going to cause you to actually listen to what God has been saying. And then second question, what are you going to do about that? <laughs> And that moves you forward in life. Faith is trying. And those are questions that encourage you to try to get moving. Um, you can be assured that God is speaking to you. I don't know if you're listening. But I think you can be fairly sure that God is speaking to you. And this is really, really fun. You can be fairly sure that God is speaking to all of your friends. Even your non-believing friends. And so what we need in this world is not a breakout of God speaking to people. What we need is a breakout of God listening. Excuse me, people listening to what God is saying. That's what I try to encourage through all of my evangelistic conversations. And that's mostly what I encourage through my discipleship conversations. Well, listen. <laughs> what? Okay, then let's listen together. I bet we get something. If you go to an Ahana group, they'll probably throw you in the middle of a circle and listen with you. Right? That's what we do at our Ohana group pretty much every week. Amen. And that's where all the good stuff happens. So, yeah, God's speaking, even to all those people that uh, aren't particularly listening. And I feel like my job is not to get the word of the Lord to them, but to reveal the word of the Lord to them, as was the case in Samuel's life. I'm just going to uncover what's already... Oh, oh, God has been speaking to you since you were four. How about that? How about that? That's good stuff, right? Yep. Somebody, give me a snap. Uh, then we get to Eli's portion of the story. Like I said, you know, it seems like Eli knew what was coming. Once Eli figured out that God was speaking to this punk kid who serves in the, in the temple in front of the ark, once he figured it out, Eli kind of knew what the Lord was going to say to him because Eli knew what was going on with his sons and how they were abusing their power, their position, and all of this nasty stuff. Uh, and that also feels like commentary to me uh, about why people, why visions were rare. Because what you have here is the, the leaders of the church not really wanting to hear what God would say to them. Because they knew that when God spoke to them, he would ask them to clean up their act. 
right? They knew what was coming. In other words, I think Eli had probably been filtering out the voice of the Lord. I'm not listening, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. just going to go through my day, just going to go through my day. If God speaks to me, he might change things up. He might pressure me. I might have to, you know, get into an awkward conversation with my kids. I might have to discipline my own family. I might have to resign. I might have to give up my security. I'm, a, eh. I'm, I'm afraid of what God might say. Is he going to ask me to give up this in life? Is he going to ask me to give up that in life? And if you're afraid of what God might say, it's really easy to kind of accidentally, on purpose, not really listen. And I think that's where, that's where Eli was. He, he himself wasn't hearing God because he pretty much knew what the Lord would say, and he didn't like it so much. And so he just cruised. He just cruised. By contrast, Samuel was simply like, uh, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Super simple. <laughs> Super objective. Hey, whatever. Say, say whatever, uh, you know, and I'll do my best to understand you. Uh, a kid who just listens objectively is worth a veteran adult minister who refuses to listen objectively. Kind of one of the moral of this story. Anyway, to cut to the chase and wrap this up, I believe God is speaking. Uh, in the world. I think he's always been speaking, even in those times in which hearing, uh, listening to the voice of the Lord was rare, even before the age of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in which we all live. God has always been a pretty chatty fellow. I believe God is speaking to many in this world. I believe God is speaking to many in our community. I believe God is speaking to virtually everyone I know. I certainly believe that God is speaking to everyone here. Certainly. I believe that. Uh, maybe you're not used to it, but maybe there are signs that God has kind of gotten your attention, but you haven't quite tuned in yet. You know, maybe your sleep is agitated. There's one. Uh, maybe your dreams are interesting. Right? And you wake up and they kind of nag at you a, a little bit. Or maybe your spirit just feels a little bit different. You know, like it's a little bit off balance. Or maybe strangely centered, focused, something like that. Maybe you have doubts about your life. But not doubts that are like anxious. More like doubts that feel kind of healthy. Like, ugh, I'm not really sure if I should be doing that anymore. Or uh, I probably should have picked that up when I first thought about it, and I haven't yet. But it feels healthy, not really shameful, you know, because the voice of the Lord always tends to come with conviction rather than intimidation. Um, maybe you find yourself starting to believe things that you've never given yourself permission to believe before, right? Your spirit is galloping ahead of your brain a little bit. It happens when the Lord speaks to our spirit, but our brain refuses to, to tune in. That can happen. Uh, maybe you're just generally unsettled in life. You know, you know that there's something coming and it's got you kind of on edge. Or maybe, you know, you're just so over it. You're just over it, man. You're just so over it, whatever. And you've become willing to kind of hear what God is saying. 
and you just want the truth about things, even if it's a little costly, even if it involves some adjustments in your life, even if you have to change something major, let alone you know, a few minor things, maybe you just want the truth and that appetite is growing in you. You want the voice of the Lord and you find yourself willing to listen now without a filter. You're just like, all right, just speak. Just say it. Just say it. I'm listening. I'm listening. You know, and that's a great place to be. You ever read uh, the life story of the prophets in, in, in this book, the Old Testament? There are fewer in the New Testament, but have you ever read their lives? What do you know about the lives of the prophets, the great prophets in Scripture? What do you know about their lives? Hard lives. Their lives kind of suck. Pretty much, top to bottom, every one of them had a rough go. You ever wondered why that is? Why the people that really specialize in listening to the voice of the Lord for other people and ministering the instructions of the Lord to other people, you ever ask yourself, well, why do their lives have to be so incredibly dramatic and difficult? You ever ask? I have a theory. Uh, And my theory is that prophets have it rough so that they can say rough things without any encumbrance. So, for instance, if a prophet needs to go to some rich dude and say, oh, you know, you need to give up all of your money. I think the Lord wants you to give up all of your money. Well, for reasons that are probably obvious to you, it would be helpful in that instance if the prophet himself or herself had no money. Because then it makes the message sound pretty authoritative, right? Right? Oh, you need to do this thing that will be really unpopular in your circle. It's really helpful if the person saying that to you has experienced a whole bunch of rejection in his life or her life, right? Because then the word has a lot of authority to it, has a lot of testimony and experience behind it. Because what gives you authority? Well, experience does. You know, anybody can tell a story, but to tell a testimony... (laughs) Um, it's helpful if you've gone through it. So what I'm saying is that prophets tend to, the great ones, and the ones who make it, <laughs> the ones who excel, tend to live lives in which they've just taken it as it comes and had a lot of faith anyway. Right? And the Lord shakes them and rattles them and then sends them to deliver any message. And a prophet will hear anything God says because at the, uh, you know, by the time they get mature, they've just been through it so many times that they don't blink anymore, that they just don't flinch anymore. And so you see prophets you know, walking up to great, powerful, and evil kings and saying, clean up your act. I'm going to kill you. Yeah, well, you might be doing me a favor. <laughs> but that's what God said. You deal with it. You know, and that's the kind of person that the Lord can really use. Just speak, Lord. Whatever. I'm listening. I'm willing to give this up to that up. Very frequently, because God tends to be super kind, what he says is really encouraging. So don't, don't take me wrong, you know. But there's probably a reason that Samuel kind of started out delivering a rough message. And from then on, immediately it says, and God never let any of his words fall to the ground. Why? Because even as a kid, the dude was so reliable. 
he just wouldn't flinch. He wouldn't flinch in the listening. Therefore, he would not flinch in the speaking. Totally willing to be unpopular. And he was occasionally super popular and occasionally really unpopular as you read uh, the rest of the story. Here's what I'm saying today. Here's our takeaway point. If you're willing to listen to what God says, you will certainly hear what God is saying. That's it. There ain't nothing fancy about that. But if you're simply, truly willing to listen to whatever God is saying to you, I can almost guarantee that you will hear what God is saying. You will hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord will be revealed to you. It's probably already there. But you'll be like, oh, there, yeah, okay, now I get it. Now I'm not just hearing, I'm actually understanding. Okay, now I got it. And that's how it works. That's like part of hearing your call. You just have to hear the call God makes. Call makes. If God happens to call you to a life of popularity, wealth, fame, and success, you'll probably hear it rather easily. Also, I hate you. <laughs> you know, but there are probably some of you who will fall in that category. You know, and there are lots of other nice churches that you could go to. Just don't hang around here and kind of model all of that to the rest of us. Not interested. No, we've got to have some of you successful people around. Uh, that's really useful. Um, but uh, some of you, I think, probably have an idea of something that the Lord is saying, but it just doesn't, you're not really subtle with it yet, and therefore you're not hearing it yet. And some of you are truly in a place of mystery and cloud, and you just, you know, you haven't really begun uh, to listen yet but this is going to be a really fruitful season for you because I think the Lord is veritably shouting his call, certainly over this congregation, you know, because it's a new season and vessels are being built and things are changing and, and uh, there's just going to be a great outpouring of direction and call and power and new life and evangelism. Oh, well, I think it's already begun, to be honest, and you want to get in on that. That's what life is truly like in the tabernacle of God. And to walk with God in a corrupt generation, and I'm here to tell you, this generation is, is corrupt, it's twisted, and it's really lost its grip on truth, generally speaking, all sorts of truth, then you must learn to pick out his voice amongst the other voices that you're used to listening to. All of the other voices on the radio, or your YouTube feed, or your Instagram, or Facebook, or whatever the thing is uh, in your life and to be able to pick the Lord's voice out of that din and do whatever it says. And your life is going to get really interesting. Amen. So, Father, I pray um, almost redundantly that uh, the voice of the Lord would not be rare in this house, uh, that as the voice of the Lord came and took residency at Shiloh, the voice of the Lord would come and really take residency at Blue Water and that we would be marked as people who listen to what God is saying simply and sincerely, that we would be childlike rather than complicated. I bless you with uncomplicated ears stemming from sincere hearts and resilient 
pugnacious faith. Uh, in Jesus' name. Everybody says. <laughs>